Oh my God, Dan. Oh my God, Riley. What are you doing here? What I, well, I just popped in thinking that uh, today would be a good day to record a show. You know what? I had that exact same feeling when I got out of bed this morning. You felt that today was a good day. You just had the, the vibe that this mm-hmm. was something that um, that needed to happen. Yeah, I felt compelled to do it. I tried to drown that compulsion in liquor, mm-hmm. but I was unsuccessful. So here we are. And that's so sad, Riley, because you haven't, I don't think I've ever seen you have a drink of liquor in all the decades I've known you. I actually don't drink, but I claim I drink. I know you do, and I love it. I love that you don't drink and that you claim that you do. <laughs> I think it gives me cachet because I had to give up smoking, so I need something. Right. When did you quit smoking? Oh, my God, like 20 years ago. Yeah, so before, like, I think before you and I met, which was... No, 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 I would have... I would. You were still smoking then? Okay. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I kind of remember that. I'm a child of the 80s and also a child of the club scene in the 80s. We all smoked. You were known as the DeMaurier kid. <laughs> That's a Canadian reference because I don't think they had DeMaurier in the States. But oh, no? Okay. For our, our international listeners, DeMaurier was a huge brand of cigarette in Canada. Okay, I have a good story for you today. Are you in the mood for a good story? I am. I, I do want to point something out, though, before we begin. Is it a constellation? No. Uh, it's, well, you could sort of call her that. But we have a missing voice on today's episode. We do. Good listener. Uh, Bonnie Robinson, our producer, is lost somewhere in a jungle. We think uh, in Amazonia. And uh, she is hacking her way, we hope, to safety and will return to us in a few weeks' time. They found her cracked cell phone inside a snake. Speaking of which, did you ever see that weird thing in, I think it was the Philippines or something, where there's a woman who was gardening, and a snake just came and got her, and all they found was her shoes, and then they found the snake. like one of the, It was one of those giant snakes, I guess, anacondas, and the snake is just nearby with the woman, fully, like the whole woman inside her, digesting. Oh, so she was dead? Yeah, so, yeah. Do you do you ever have you ever seen those videos where um, uh, people will they'll go hunting for the like the anaconda or python or a boa? I don't know what they are, but one guy will go down into the hole where it is and gets his leg bitten like it, and then all the other guys pull that guy to pull the snake out of the hole. So the guy basically is like, you know, have my leg, and uh, it terrifies me. Or or when they've like. There's videos of them opening the snakes up and the thing that had been eaten is still alive. Oh, God. Right? So it's not like a quick death. You oh. know for a long time that you're dying. Oh, gross. Did they, they? Did you know they hire people from another country? I don't remember what the country is. It might be Belgium. No, no. It's like India or Sri Lanka. And they go to Florida every year to get rid of all the boa constrictors that are loose in the in the wild and you'll see them in the everglades just rousting out these little boas and killing them because they're the experts yeah and they've been put there as discarded pets well that's right because they're not indigenous to that part of the world at all no but we're going to a part of the world where snakes are indigenous to and that is brazil Ooh, that's where i'm taking us uh tonight is this is this episode all about copacabana it is because it was the hottest spot north of havana but that's cuba I know, I never really gave it any thought till just now. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to tell you the story of a gentleman named Arago. And his claim to fame was he was a rusty knife surgeon. And you're thinking to yourself, what on earth is a rusty knife surgeon? Well, I'm going to tell you. But first of all, let me just fill in the cracks of his past. 
Arago, he was also known in his country as Z. Arago. He was born on October 18, 1921. His given name was Jose Pedro de Fritas, but he was given the name Arago. And this is weird. When I read this, I thought, hmm, that, that ain't very nice. That name Arago roughly translates from Portuguese to country bumpkin. Who gave him that name? I don't know specifically. I think the townspeople. Right. So it was just sort of a, a, a nickname that he, he picked up from. Maybe school. From the people. School's bad for nicknames. Oh, so did he, he had this from a young age? I, I, I believe so. Perhaps. I mean, when people nickname you, it's usually high school, right? I had the nickname of Boots La Joie. Did you really? Yeah, because I wore cowboy boots in grade 9 and 10. You really did, didn't you? I did. I love you for that. So, Arago lived in a town called Congonhas. And I actually looked it up and did a little bit of an image explore. Beautiful place. Looks like those towns that you see in Greece or um, sometimes in the rural areas in Italy with all these white short buildings. There's no tall building in the town. And Mm -hmm. it's known primarily for its religious architecture. Very famous. People go there to to visit the religion. I love religious architecture. I'm not in any way, shape or form a religious person. But God, I love when you walk into a big cathedral. Yeah, there's something about it, you know. You've been to you've been to some cathedrals, then obviously many. But which, like, which ones? Weirdly enough, I have to tell you, there's a church that I love to visit in, and I'm not t- saying it because it's Canada and that's where I live. But Lunenburg, Nova Scotia, okay. has a church, and in the church is painted over the altar a beautiful celestial sky, and that's not uncommon in cathedrals. They used yeah. to call, they call that the heavens. Anyway, um, yeah. But this celestial sky has stars in very precise positions. And I asked the tour guide when we were there what the mm-hmm. positions of the stars were. And she told me that that's an approximation of what the heavens would have looked like from Bethlehem on the night that Christ was born. Oh, my God. That's cool. Right. I mean, that's, that's, neat. that's some yeah. work. But I have yeah. to say also, um, I have been to Notre Dame, and that's pretty amazing. In, in Paris. Yeah, because it's so historical. And St. John the Divine in New York City is actually outrageously huge. I have been to, to Notre Dame in Paris. I also like Notre Dame in Montreal, the Basilica. Oh, it's massive. And that, and that, and that blue-hued uh, domed uh, ceiling. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know something interesting? Do you know why cathedrals are built that way? They are built that way intentionally to make you feel small when uh, when up against the greatness of God. Mm. So when you walk into a cathedral, the intention there is for you to feel small. I used to feel that way going into Blockbuster Video. All those videos I'll never watch. Okay, we're not going to talk about anything except just stuff like this. But I got to tell you, man, there's nothing I loved more than my Friday. When I was single, my Friday night routine of getting DVDs or videos for the weekend. Yeah, I mi- I really do miss that. And it was frustrating because the new releases would never be there. And yes. I, would, I would always buy a bag of nibs. And then yes. you'd, go, you'd go home and you'd decide which ones you were going to watch. Uh-huh. My, my in-laws used to rent a cottage for two weeks in the summer when my wife and I were first dating. And they would rent 20 movies for the two weeks. And th- they actually did a really good job. Of picking, just curating the right film. Yeah, and it, they weren't too picky, and there was always a lot to choose from, and it was perfect for the cottage. The one funny one, though, <laughs> there, there was one night where it was my wife and her parents, and that's it in the cottage. And her parents rented Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, <laughs> and my wife Marion had already seen it, so she she 
she excused herself and went to her room and closed the door. But then she could still hear that music that and knew exactly what was happening. And it made her so uncomfortable knowing her parents were watching, you know, a, a large orgy on on uh, on TV. You know, I find that film is a very maligned film. I didn't hate it. Oh, neither did I. I found it extremely creepy. I thought it was beautiful, too. It's just mm-hmm. so gorgeously filmed. Because I'm not always down with Kubrick, but that one I was down with. Is that his last film? Yeah. I think so, eh? Yeah. Yeah, and he was, I think, working on AI, and then Spielberg took it over. Oh, he was working on AI, and that's when he passed? Yeah, he was AI was in development, and that's why Spielberg picked it up and finished the project. I liked that film, too. I did, too. Um, yeah, last time Haley Joel Osment was ever really seen doing anything of value. All right, on with your story. Back to Brazil. Um, as a young man, he well, he was a family man, first of all. He was married quite comfortably and had five children. As a young man, he was not well-educated. He only completed grade three, but this was not unusual for that region. It was a worker's region. Sure. So you would get- Yeah, especially in that era too. Yeah, right? you'd get your basic ed and then you would go to work. So he worked in an iron mine. He was a really good worker, very popular, and was elected to be president of their local union. Now, this is where the story really kicks in. His whole life, he suffered from terrible headaches and hallucinations. They were really, really profound. Um, Sometimes he would have to lie down in complete darkness. In the hallucinations, he would often see an image of a portly, bald-headed man talking with a large group of doctors and nurses. And the fact that this was so specific terrified him. And the fact that he kept seeing this again and again further terrified him. He would often go to church to pray because he was a very religious man, rural um, Brazil, of course, he's going to be Catholic. And he would go to church to try to pray for guidance and assistance. One day, the spirit of the gentleman in those hallucinations finally appeared to him fully and identified himself. He was Adolfo Fritz, a German doctor who had been killed in World War I. And he felt that his work on earth had never been completed that he wanted to help and assist the human race more. And so he had chosen Arago as his vessel because Arago was such a just man. It's very biblical. So this is, this is 1940s ish, I guess. Right. Born in 21, let's say probably, well, he'd been having hallucinations his whole life. I think this experience was probably in the thirties. Okay. So, so he was a teen later than a teen, 21, 30. Oh, no, you're right. For, I'm terrible at math. So the 40s, you're right. It would be the 40s. Well, apparently. <laughs> I am. I'm terrible at math. I have to I count on my fingers. <laughs> but we can't all be mathematicians, right? No, we can't. He's told Arago that if he wanted to be free of his headaches and hallucinations, he would have to begin serving the poor and sick who were in need. Now, mm. needless to say, Arago was completely freaked out and he ran through the town screaming, which is an image I love. Um, because it's a small town, two people were summoned to help him, a doctor and, of course, a priest. And the church, being the church, decided that the best course of action to take would be an exorcism to get rid of the spirit that was haunting him. That's so random, too, that a ger- – like, it's not like um, – the fact that it's a German officer from World War One is strange. It's not an officer, but it's a German Okay. Oh, he, I thought he was a medic. Yeah, probably. Or just work. They never mentioned that he actually served in the military. I don't didn't come across that anyway in my research. Perhaps he did, but I okay. am not familiar with that. But my point being is that it's a strange 
It's specific as hell. Right. Odd. Yeah, okay. extremely specific. And it's not something that he would just pull out of the air. I mean, really? Unless he was in contact with Germans, but it's not Argentina, so doubtful that he was. Right. Anyway, they performed the exorcism and it failed. So life went on for poor dear Arago. Now, elections were being held that year and there was a campaigner uh, involved in the elections. This is the elections in the um, Iron Workers Union. So okay. this guy was named Lucio Bittencourt. He met Arago in his travels because he was campaigning. He was so impressed by how tireless he worked on behalf of the iron miners and their causes that he invited Arago to attend a political rally with him in Belo Horizonte, which is a city close by. I love that name, Belo Horizonte. I don't speak um, Portuguese, but I assume it means beautiful horizon, pretty horizon, which is nice. Yeah. So they get there to Belo Horizonte. It actually, though, also sounds like a retirement community doesn't it? With lots of shuffleboard. Yeah. Welcome to Belo Horizonte. Over here is the graveyard. <laughs> the rally was postponed, so Bittencourt invited Arago to spend the night at the hotel where he was staying. I realize the way that's written, it sounds like they're going to have a homosexual relationship, doesn't it? Yeah, But it's not that. Huh. So unknown to Arago, Mr. Bittencourt was suffering from lung cancer. And his doctor had informed him that his best chance for survival was to go to the United States and have a complicated procedure. And the United States, because they had surgeons who were skilled enough to do this, he hadn't gone yet. So that night, Bittencourt is lying in bed and the door of the room suddenly opens and the light is turned on. And there is standing Arago. His eyes are completely glassy and unfocused. And in his hands, he's holding a razor. Oh, my God. Now... I would have flipped right the fuck out. Yeah. But Bittencourt states that he was unafraid, that he felt a sense of comfort, that he knew nothing bad was going to happen. At that point, Arago begins to speak in a thick German accent that sounded nothing like his normal voice. And he told Bittencourt that there would be an operation. At that moment, Bittencourt passed out. When he regains consciousness, his pajama jacket is slashed and bloody, and a neat incision is on the back of his ribcage. Weird. So Bittencourt's like, what the absolute fuck? Yes. So he goes to Arago's room to confront him, and Arago is completely surprised. He has no memory of this happening at all. He has no memory of going to the room or performing any kind of medical procedure. Bittencourt is trying to remain calm. So he catches the first plane to Rio. We know where that is, Rio de Janeiro, yes. to visit his doctor. Ergo is freaking at this point. He's thinking, what have I done? This is assault. It could even be interpreted as attempted murder. Was he aware that he did this? No, I said that earlier. I know, but I just want to, you speak so quickly sometimes and my brain moves so slowly. Are you drinking an espresso right now, by the way? That's a London fog. Okay, that's a nice drink. No, but I just want to make it clear for myself. This is what I like to do. I like to stop and ask, and and I sometimes know the answer, but I it makes me feel more comfortable when we're dealing with this type of material. I want you to say, in the last episode, you said super dupes. Super dupes. Is that a thing you say often? Yes. For a long time, I've been saying super dupes. Super dupes. It's hilarious. So he he's only aware of this from Bittencourt. Yes. Okay. Yep, Bittencourt went to his room and said, do you know what you just did? And Arago's, goes, no, what did I do? Mm. And he describes it, and Arago is like, oh, my God, I'm going to go to jail for this. Mm -hmm. All right, so Bittencourt's doctor in Rio 
took x-rays and he was blown away by the result of what he assumes at that point, because Bittencourt didn't say what happened. He assumed was a proper surgical procedure that had been performed in the United States. Oh, cool. Okay. So Bittencourt doesn't go in and say, this man came into my room and cut me with a knife. He said, just check me out. The tumor had been removed by a technique that was completely unknown and not being practiced in Brazil. Neat. And the doctor told Bittencourt that his chances of recovery were really excellent. Wow. Okay. So Bittencourt thinks he's seen a bit of a miracle. So he spreads the word about his experience and newspapers all over Brazil are carrying the story. Hmm. This is a part I like. So Ergo's priest, a guy named Father Pernido, even the name, even the name, Father Pernido. I am Father Pernido. It just sounds, <laughs> he sounds meddlesome, doesn't he? Yes. I bet he, I can just see him too in a big black cassock. Yeah. And um, horn-rimmed glasses, a very harsh haircut. Yes. And just talks about hell all the time. So Father Pernido, Father Pernido warned Arago not to perform any more operations that it was sinful. What? But Arago was determined. Yeah, I know. It's stupid. Arago was determined to help people. So Arago found that he could now heal people often by just delivering a verbal command. Weird. So he could... Just say, disease be gone. But that's not primarily what he did. When he was healing, he could never remember what he did when he was actually healing. As soon as his work commenced, um, the headaches and hallucinations he experienced ceased. So as long as he was working to help the sick, he was free of headaches and hallucinations. And he performed his surgery almost exclusively with a pocket or kitchen knife, unsterilized. He never used anesthetic. There was never any bleeding from the wound, nor was there ever any need for sutures. Why, why, why no anesthetic? He was faith healing. And were the knives actually rusty? Apparently, one of the pocket knives had rust on it. There was never any post-operative infection in any one that Arago worked on. Wow. And he worked on over 2,000 people in the course of his life. That's a lot of people. Wow. He could even write complicated prescriptions. And we both sure know is. prescriptions are generally written in Latin. And he only finished third grade. He'd never studied anything remotely to do with medicine or chemistry. Both Brazilian and foreign mm. doctors through the course of his life verified that his healings were indeed genuine. At the height of his work, he was treating more than 300 patients per day for more than 20 years. Around, and he was doing this around his work schedule because he worked full time. Was he still a minor? Through all of this? At one point, he left the mine and was working at the post office. Okay. But seriously, like, talk about, and he never took any money for any of the work he did. And how many surgeries did you say he would do? At, at his peak, 300 a day. Ah, that's crazy. And working. Okay. And not taking any money. Not a single cent. And not seeking any publicity. No, he was not a fame whore at all. He treated the poor and downtrodden, but also as word spread, he began to treat executives, well-known politicians, and prominent figures in Brazilian society. I even read in one, uh, in one article that he treated the president's daughter. Really? He was responsible for curing incurable diseases like cancer that conventional medicine and conventional doctors had said were untreatable. So a lot of people would go to Arago who had received death sentences from their doctors. Mm-hmm. His clinic, uh, I saw pictures of it, was really quite something. It was a dilapidated old church. The only furnishings in it was a chair and a wooden table. 
He always claimed that Jesus was acting through him. He never said it was Dr. Fritz. He only confessed this to a few people. When he would operate, this is what would happen. He would go uh, to a cubicle. He would recite the Lord's Prayer and then retreat to privacy in a cubicle. And when he emerged from the cubicle after a few minutes, he would seem to be a completely different man. Mm. He spoke very directly and authoritatively and didn't hesitate at all. Was he still speaking German? No, but sometimes he had an accent. He would operate in a matter of seconds, no hesitation whatsoever. So the church, being the kind of entity they are, wanted him to stop his work. So they put so much pressure on politicians and people in that area that he was eventually arrested because they claimed okay. that Brazilian law made faith healing a crime. Which it, which it would be in most places around the world, I would I'm assume. not sure if it is. I don't know. I don't think it is in the States because they do it all the time, right? Faith healing. Like that kind of faith healing though, or like the what you'd see on a televangelist type show on Sunday? Good point. Yeah. Where they slap your forehead. Like he's doing full-blown surgery. I thought there were laws against that. I'm not sure if you consent though. If you consent, is it an issue? I don't know. I don't know. Because like I could go I could go for some weird kind of acupuncture that might be dangerous, but this is where we're really missing Bonnie. Yeah, we are. And again, I hope I hope those macaques that are chasing her probably right now don't get her. I hope so too. But you know, man, deep in the jungle anything can happen. Mm-hmm. She get set upon by baboons. <laughs> At his trial, Erigo said the following. And it's a good quote, so I'm going to read exactly what he said, but not in Portuguese because that would alienate a lot of our audience. Mm. He said, I don't even know myself whether I practice illegal medicine or not. All I know is that whenever anybody comes to me for material or spiritual help, I must try to help them. I will not turn them away. I will tell them to ask God for good health. I start with the Lord's Prayer, and from that moment on, I don't remember what I do. I'm in a state that I do not understand. Hmm. There you go. That's what he said. Hmm. On March 29th, 1957, he was convicted and sentenced to 15 months in prison for what he had done. Now, everybody knew that the church and the medical establishment were behind his prosecution. Arago served only two months in jail before Brazil's president intervened and pardoned him. For a while, he didn't perform any medical procedures. I think he was a little bit freaked out by what had happened to him, understandably so. But guess what? The headaches and the hallucinations returned. And so he felt he had no other choice but to start to see patients again, and he did. Important to note here, he was scrutinized and hated by the church and the medical establishment Mm. for his entire life. See, I find that that strange because aren't they – like isn't the church always looking for stuff like that? I would, I thought so too. Right? Like a miracle. Yes. To latch on. Why, why, especially if this person is so popular and has this goodwill and and momentum, he has political favor. Isn't this like kind of like an an alia slam dunk story for the church? Yeah. Again, the fact that his healing came from the power of Christ, according to him, why would they have a problem with it? Oh, the church has a problem with everything. (laughs) I don't get it either. I'm not going to go into that though. I don't want to alienate Christians, but whatever. You and I are both reformed. Yeah. Yeah. I did time as a Catholic. Well, so did I. So I did about 25 hard years. You felt like you officially left when you were 25 years old? Well, once my mom died, 
your father's not? Not at all. And we would have to go, like, I remember we'd go to Florida. Everything's about me going to Florida, but we would go to Florida and we'd have to go find a fucking church to go to. Really, eh? Here we are in a, bu- in a church with a bunch of Floridians. I I had a funny experience. We, we, we've never officially broken with the church or anything like that. When I was three or four years old, uh, we were, we, at that point, we were going to church every Sunday and there was an incident at the church where the priest singled out my family because I was playing with my Star Wars figures in the pew. And he stopped the sermon and yelled at my parents and me. I don't, I don't remember this, but my mom and dad tell the story to the point where my mom and dad had to get up and walk out. And that was it. We never became, we were, we would only go at Christmas and Easter basically after that point or funerals. Oh my God. What a fucking jerk. I've had some really negative experiences and I went to Catholic school up to grade eight. I had some, some real dirt bags as priests and, you know, and have met some lovely ones too. So again, not to paint everyone with the same brush. There's some really great people involved with the church, but it was, it was not somewhere that I often felt welcomed. I didn't either or comfortable. Right. There's a lot of stuff I don't, I don't ascribe to. So yeah, I find that in the Catholic Church specifically, women are just so downgraded. Um, why are there no female priests? I mean, it just, but we'll, it's a whole discussion for another day. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about rabbit holes all the time, and we're lost down little rabbit holes when we do our research. I found a rabbit hole when I was doing the research for this. And this is a gentleman named Puharic, Andrija Puharic. And he was a man who studied Erigo's work a lot. He was a doctor from the United States who was known as primarily as an inventor, an academic, and a researcher into parapsychological phenomena. He wrote a famous book called The Sacred Mushroom. <laughs> and can you guess what that might be about? Uh, hallucinogenics? Um, this is a guy, actually. I think I'm going to put a pin in him and research him later and maybe make an episode about Puharic. Because when I tell you about what he was doing in Brazil, you're going to love it. Okay. So he came across Arago completely by accident because he was in Brazil working as a consultant for NASA oh. because they want they needed to find a way to communicate with astronauts over vast distances in space. Because at that point it was the space program was very robust and they were planning excursions to Mars and Saturn. So they wanted to see if there was any way they could train astronauts to use telepathy. Weird. Ah, interesting. I find that stuff so cool when you know that these aren't, um, you know, fringe scientists are investigating to see if this stuff can happen, right? Don't you find that cool? Exactly. Like teleportation. I don't know what where, where it is at now, but I do know that physicists have been working on that. You know, like what they what you see in Star Trek, if that's possible. That would be the best. There's two technologies from Star Trek that would would be the best. The teleporter. Is it teleporter? Is that what it's called? Teleporter, yeah. The transporter. The transporter. They call it the transporter. And that thing that makes food. The replicator. I always wanted that hologram room. Oh, that too. But the replicator. Think of it. You just go any meal you want in the world. You know, ribeye steak, medium well. Or the medicine thing. That machine that just sort of scans your body and automatically tells you what's wrong. That would be great. But they're getting close, I think, to putting chips into people to be able to figure out certain things. Anyway, anyway, okay. So Puharic was there to try to find out about telepathy. And he was there to speak with someone who could supposedly levitate, but he was unable to do so because the person who could levitate was just surrounded by 
charlatans and media, uh, the media, and just it was impossible to get to this person. So while he was there, a friend of Puharic's told him about Arago. So Puharic thought he might as well check it out because, you know, I'm in Brazil. I might as well see what this is all about. After he visited Arago and saw his work, he was completely convinced that Arago was the real deal. He was actually operated on by Arago of his own choice, who removed a small tumor from his elbow that he had been waiting to have removed for quite a while. It was benign. He just wanted to get rid of it. He said the procedure took about 10 seconds. He felt no pain. And when it was done, Arago took the tumor and just slapped it into his hand. A butcher. Yeah, just like that. And Puharic was convinced seeing that he was not using anything to clean his uh, his knives, was convinced he was going to get a post-op infection because this guy's a doctor. So he knows that infection can be a really big problem post-operatively. Sure. So um, he had no infection whatsoever and the, the wounds healed beautifully. The scar was so small that you, could all, you couldn't even really tell that anything had happened. So Puharic was just completely blown away by this and he returned again and again to Brazil to document Arago's work. He took films, brought film crews with him. He conducted interviews yeah. and he thoroughly documented Arago's processes. And Dan or uh, listeners, if you want, hop onto YouTube, type in Arago, and there's a million films on there of him actually doing his surgery. How is that spelt, Arago? A-R-I-G-O, exactly like you think it would be. So on one occasion, they decided to test Arago and they brought 545 patients to him to be examined. And these had already been diagnosed by the medical community. Of the 545, he diagnosed 518 of them with the exact diagnosis their doctors had given them. Wow. By looking at them. Weird. So not only Puharic, but doctors from Johns Hopkins, from New York University, from Harvard, all of them concluded that Arago was authentic. They watched the films. They saw the experiences. It was real. Hmm. If you watch the films and if you read some of what Puharic wrote about it, his hands, Arago's hands moved with incredible speed. Often he would not even be looking at the area he was operating on. He would be looking in the opposite direction, almost like a blind person, you know, just off in the distance. And yet his hands would move so precisely. Doctors who reviewed the film said he had a surgical skill that could only be the result of years of extensive training. So on November 20th, 1964, oh, I hate this part, Arago was again tried and convicted of illegally practicing you know, medicine and healing. And this time he was sentenced to 16 months in prison. Yeah. But this is, this is the warm and fuzzy part. Not a single member of the Congon Haas, that's the village he's in, police force, was willing to take him into custody. So Arago, being the stand-up guy he was, walked to the prison himself. That's a beautiful moment. That's a Shawshank Redemption moment mm -hmm. right there. I can just picture him in the mm -hmm. rain walking towards the prison. I don't know why. I just I see rain. Even in jail, he carried on his work. The warden believed in him and liked him so much that he allowed Arago the freedom to come and go as he pleased. So Arago would go out during the day and do his work with the, the poor and with the people who needed healing. And then he would return to his cell at night. Just come back to the prison because that's the kind of guy he was. Well, that's just pretty remarkable. And it says a little bit of, uh, so it says something about his character and how he was perceived by the people in his community. Can you hear my dog yelping in the background? Can you tell that dog to shut it? Oh, I do all day. He's just so exuberant. What's your dog's name? Brixton. He's just a puppy and he wants attention. All right. So, um, 
On one on his last visit, Arago told Puharek that his job was finished and that he would soon be leaving. On January the 11th, 1971, Arago was killed instantly in a car accident. He was 49 years old. Puharek never saw him again after that last visit, obviously. Now, his death, he was so popular and so loved in Brazil that his death was the principal headline in every newspaper in Brazil, from Rio right to the smallest towns. So footnote to all of this, Dan, you're probably wondering if they did any research about Dr. Fritz having existed. Yeah, sure. They did. And they couldn't find any record of a Dr. Um, Adolfo Fritz having lived or died during the period around World War One in Germany or other countries. That's actually that surprises me only because Adolfo Fritz doesn't sound like that uncommon of a name. No doctor named Adolfo Fritz. They couldn't find one. Here's a little bit of spooky time. Won't you take me to Spooky Town? Spooky Town! Take me to Spooky Town! Puharic claims that about an hour um, before Arago actually died, he received a phone call saying that Arago had passed on. But in fact, Arago was still alive. It was a good hour before the car accident. What? This has never been explained. So sorry, he receives a call an hour before he's dead that he's died. Yeah. Well, could it have been a murder? No, no, it was was just a bad accident. And people always say, well, it was the time zone. No, it's obviously they thought of that. It's not the time zone. He received a call saying Arago was gone and then... An hour later, he was actually gone. So if I ever receive a call saying Dan Lajoie is dead, I'll find you immediately. Well, many people have been receiving that call for several years. Oh. Like there are, yeah, there are some people that say, technically, I'm not alive. I've had so much junk food, Coke and chips that I'm technically dead inside. I'm the same. I'm a child of like the 70s and 80s. I'm entirely made of sugar. I'm made of sugar. I used to have a bowl of cereal in the morning when I would get home from school and before going to bed. And all of those cereals were all the most unhealthy ones. Fruit Loops, Alphabets, all that shit. So for, so for me, those would have, would have been the healthier ones. Like mini wheats would have been in that category. No, I'm talking like Lucky Charms, Count Chocula, Boo Berry, Frankenberry, Rocky Road. Rocky Road? What? Wait, what? There was a cereal of Rocky Road, like the ice cream? Right. And it had like little marshmallow and chocolate and it was really good. Oh, do you know what? I could eat a whole fucking box of that sugary cereal watching Saturday morning cartoons. I would eat a whole box. Oh, I and I've had this conversation so many times with people. But if you are, if you grew up, you know, before the 90s. Before YTV. Yeah, because YTV kind of ruined it all. It did. It ruined everything for everyone. If you grew up before that, Saturday morning was sacred. Best ritual of childhood ever. And I remember getting the TV guide and going through it because you kind of had to map your morning. Absolutely. You know, you because there was, what, three or four channels that were playing cartoons. You sometimes had to make a really difficult decision 
with with certain ones. And for me, in the 80s, it always wrapped up in the best possible way with Pee Wee's Playhouse. Because oh, that was okay. on, I think, at 11 or 11.30. And that's how you finished. Yeah. And some really great ones, like for me, Dungeons and Dragons. Do you remember that one? With the, the kids go through the amusement park ride? We're too far apart in age. My experience is completely different. No, but you may remember that one. No, no. I In the 80s. I was in my 20s. So um, I was going to say something else about that. Another sacred thing for me, and this might not apply to you because you probably had more channels by then, but in my childhood, we only had three or four channels. And the worst dead period was Sunday afternoon, especially in the winter. Yeah. There was nothing on except like fishing shows like Rod and Rio. Golf. And just awful sports. But yeah. PBS would always have movies. And so as a kid – I would watch whatever PBS was showing and thank God for them because it forced me out of my comfort zone to watch movies I might never have chosen to watch in real life. A lot of the old black and white classics. Porkies. Porkies. No, like old black and white movies, Westerns. Westerns, John Wayne. Meatballs. You're just ruining this moment for me. Meatballs. Big Trouble in Little China. But anyway, so see, you were probably too old for that. But on Sunday afternoons, there was no choice. You had to tune into the PBS movie. No, 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 I wasn't. I, I had slightly more. I mean, I remember when our channels went up from, it kind of ended on Channel 9, which was NBC. And then, you know, Channel 10 and 11 were French channels that no one watched, unless you were French. 13 was CBS, wasn't it? 13 was CBS. And then I remember when Channel 15 was added. I don't remember that what 14 was, but 15 was City TV. Oh, yes. Yes, City TV. And I remember when ABC dropped. That was a big thing because suddenly we had another American channel. Anyway, it was a great era. A lot, in a lot of ways, I wish I would be young now, but in a lot of ways, I don't wish that because also I played outside all summer. Nobody I know who has little kids play outside all summer because all they want to do is play fucking video games and screen time. It's just screen time. They have to force their kids. I've got two kids, uh, age 12 and almost nine. We actually do a, a tech blockout where uh, they don't. there's no technology allowed. And it's remarkable some of the things that have happened. What I uh, Just a few days ago, my daughter, and this was actually after tech blackout was over, was on the deck reading and she was reading because she wanted to finish her book because it was almost done. She's like in the last 50 pages. That would have made me so happy. And I loved that. Yeah. I'm that way too, though. I don't know about you, but I'm addicted to my phone. Well, fuck, of course. Where are we on right now? What are we on? Yeah. The only reason I'm not addicted to my phone is because my eyes are kind of bad. So I'm kind of a tablet guy. My I find phones difficult, but yeah. And I mean, I have this recording studio, so I'm on the computer a lot and I hate it, but it is what it is. Yeah. I have some questions for you. I don't know if you have some more wrapping up with your story. Are they are they personal questions? So here's a here's a thought that I have about him. I find that fascinating that he did all these things. Some of the stuff you said about the fact like he was able to diagnose really accurately, no infections. Apparently he was actually actually for real helping people. That's what makes this story perfect for this show. Here's an idea. And you said also he didn't make any money off of it. He was working his other job through all of it. Is it possible he was doing it for the notoriety? Not at all, because all the notoriety was unintentional. Okay. He really didn't want any coverage. He didn't. It actually made his life more difficult because too many people were coming. True. And then he ended up in prison with that too. Yeah. Yeah. No, he didn't. We didn't want it. He, um, very shy, retiring sort of man. 
That's why when he would emerge in his sort of spiritual Dr. Fritz mode, he was markedly different from who he was in real life because he was a very shy, gentle man. But when Dr. Fritz came, he would be very like, okay, we're going to do this and get blah, blah, blah. Very um, much more aggressive than Ergo was in real life. It makes you sort of think then too, whether like this is a, another example of mind over matter. So in, in, in the sense that people believed they were going to be cured by him, therefore they were. That doesn't explain the surgery though. And he wouldn't like he, you know, surgeons when they operate have x-rays to go off of, like where they're going to cut. They review x-rays and they say, okay, the mass is here. You know, they don't just, when you go into surgery, they don't just cut and and search. They have x-rays that they've taken and they go, okay, it's located here. Incision has to go here. He didn't have those guideposts. No, that's pretty wild. Pretty wild. It's a good story. And it's it's a gentle story. It doesn't have any meanness to it other than the Catholic Church. Well, and it's a good change up because I feel like most of your stories have, I've felt beaten up after listening to them the last few weeks. Well, the asylum one, that was a heavy, that was a heavy load. Well, that was, that was kind of sad. I work in that field with people with mental illness and I, that's really tough to listen to that and to know how poorly our, some of our, our, our most needy have been treated. Anyway, this was a nice change up. I like that story. And he seems like a really decent person. He does. He was a nice guy. And um, yeah, it's a shame he died so young, but he did really good works when he was here. And as much as they were controversial, I think they were ultimately good work. So hats off to Arago. Hats off to him. Well, I think that is it, Riley. We survived an episode without Bonnie. I know. There's a few facts missing there, but you can fill them in yourself. And um, we also want to mention, I don't want to forget to mention because it's important. Reach out to us through our social media and suggest stuff to us because we've heard from you now and we love it. And uh, we want to hear from more of you. Give us your ideas. Tell us stories we might not have heard about. Lead us in directions that are unexpected. We love it. And we really would love to interact with you guys out there. Sure. And so we, we you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. And uh, we are very happy to, uh, to communicate with you. And if you do have those show ideas or if you have questions uh, for Riley or I, please feel free to ask away and we'll do the best we can to help you out. Absolutely. So I guess that's it for us. So this is Riley saying good night. And this is Dan saying good morning. <laughs> oh, God, I'll never win. Good